Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this episode, Eric Fawcett and I are going to break down Florida's loss at Arkansas on the weekend. We'll also preview the Gators' big home tilt with Kentucky on Wednesday night. But first, we're really excited to bring Jason Chitobo, Florida big man, onto the program. Um, talk to Jason a little bit about his battle back from injury and his role with the Gators moving forward. So uh, welcome. Jason, we're so happy to have you on. Hopping on for hopping on for a few with us. No problem. So, um, first first start yesterday. Obviously, game didn't go the the way you guys wanted, but um, starting obviously in place of in, in place of Colin. Um, it's kind of been a long road back for you after, after last year in Tennessee, you know, how did that feel to just get the opportunity to, to be in the starting five? And I know you guys want to want to win games down the stretch, but had to be somewhat rewarding to play. Um, yeah, it felt good to be back on the court playing limited, um, I said limited extended amount of minutes. Uh, unfortunately I wasn't able to get the win, but it was a great feeling being back, especially from the eye injury and the whole process coming back. So it felt good being back on the court. Hopefully I could find my rhythm soon and be ready to play better basketball. Do you yeah, feel when it, like when it comes to... oh sorry. Sorry, Eric. Oh, Go sorry. ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna ask when it comes to when it comes to rhythm, like what is that experience like? Is it any different for you preparing for the game, uh, mentally or physically when you know you're gonna be coming into off the bench versus when you start? Or like how how is that rhythm from you know the role that you had to go into? Um, it's definitely a different – it's different rhythms. Uh, it's different where you got to prepare to go into a game. Uh, uh, different where you got to prep for the game now. So, uh, just coming off the bench, you got to – you got to – you got a chance to read what's – how they playing already, mm. how how the, the, the team is – how the defensive scheme is. And starting, you just – you basically see for yourself. So, Jason, you know, you – I think a lot of people have have taken a lot of uh, I don't know if inspiration is the right word, but certainly your story is such a unique story. Both the way you got started playing basketball, and then you earn a scholarship to Florida, and then you know you're you're really playing the best basketball of your career last year when you got uh, injured, and then just to have the discipline. To, to stay in bed as long as you had to, to, to recover from this eye injury. I mean, what was that like? What did that teach you about yourself? I mean, just did you learn, hey, man, there's a lot I can I can live through going through something like that or? Um, going through stuff like that, it was definitely hard. <laughs> it was definitely days where I thought it was over for me. Uh, days I thought I wasn't going to play basketball no more. I mean, mm -hmm. It affected my my daily life. So it was days I thought I wasn't gonna be like a normal person, and uh, so, so being able to overcome that just showed me how much what I could go through and overcome, and how much stronger I am as a person. And I'm glad it inspired a little other people because sometimes I can't believe I'm doing it and I'm in it. So um, just, but I don't want it to be like a sympathy sympathy story though. I want to still prove myself. I, I want to still show what I'm capable of doing. I think one thing about your recovery story that like really stuck with me and I, I still think about is, is 
even just the way that you weren't able to to sleep normally. Um, you had to just, you know, putting your head and your eye in a particular way that that wasn't going to damage it while you slept. And I just thought, you know, like, wow, I, I just take it for granted, you know, when you go and lay your head down on the pillow. And, and that's something that, again, it's uh, just something that, you know, I took for granted and, and now I don't, and I still think about it, but what, what's another part of the recovery that like was really difficult that, that people probably wouldn't, wouldn't think about that you had to deal with. Um, the recovery was a long 10 months, but, uh, for like three, uh, three months I had to lay down flat with my head down for uh for 20 hours so 50 minutes with my head down and 10 minutes I'm I could I could sit straight up so I had to do that for 20 hours so that's basically the whole day um that was definitely that was definitely hard I had to get like a massage pillow to lay my head so I could be still be on my phone while uh while I'm laying down so it definitely made me appreciate the little things and uh not take anything for granted so when i was able to start doing normal stuff again i i still like will, will remember that you know jason i mean one of the things that whether it's coach white or coach golden that they've always praised about you is is uh just your touch and and your intelligence on the court you know the way that you're a smart player, but also, you know, offensively, uh, you have good touch around the basket. Seem, you know, I know Coach White and Coach Golden say, yeah, Jason's a good passer. He understands what is going on offensively. Um, you know, when did you kind of figure out that that you had that touch for a big man? And, you know, because there has to be a moment where you realize, hey, man, I'm pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's just – I started playing basketball late, so when I started playing organized basketball in eighth grade, so I had to watch a lot of basketball to like basically like catch up for all the missing time. So just doing that, and also always playing winning basketball my whole life. Like in high school, we won a lot of games. Early in college, we won a AAU, we won a lot of games. So it's just so learning the little stuff like that, and with my touch so like I, I started playing basketball late so that's basically what i started working on the mic and just finishing around the rim then i noticed i got really good at that because I, I did that every single day so um i just kept like try to perfect it and uh coach uh, coach white praised me a lot for my basketball iq and coach golden too and i think it's also because I, I watch a lot of basketball and i try to understand where everything's supposed to be in what everybody's supposed to do so another basketball question for you, um, something that's really important um, for centers at this level, at this time of basketball is, is guarding the pick and roll. It's, it's a huge part of, of basketball and uh, the, the pick and roll defense that you had to play was, was a lot different last year with coach white um, than it is with, with coach golden. And, and you've done really well in, in both schemes. Can you talk about um, the differences in, in guarding pick and roll and, and how you had to adjust? Yeah, it was definitely a adjustment process from high school to college, cause my freshman year, Coach White told me that's so why I wasn't playing most of the time, cause of my pick and roll defense, cause they was kind of like mm -hmm. picking on me. So um, I had to watch a lot of film on that and like work on that a lot. So um, we played a catch, a catch defense, a hard hedge basically, but to the side. So we played, we uh, we did that last year with Coach White, and um, that was really that was really effective. That was a way for me to show and get back and with coach golden now we playing a drop defense so 
it allows me to use my size to kind of like contain the boy and not letting my man get behind me. So it's two different, two different schemes. I think another thing that, that coach golden has uh, praised you about recently is, you know, just your demeanor on the court and the fact that, I mean, it has to be hard. You know, we joke around on, we're not even joking, I guess, on Twitter when we say, I feel like there's a different whistle for Jason Jatobo than there is for, for a lot of, like you get punished for being big, you know, and um, the way that you kind of, the, the way that you hold it together um, on the floor uh, in the SEC with some of the calls you get, just, just cause you, you could be vertical and they're still going to, to whistle you. Um, I know that's frustrating. I'm not going to ask you if it's frustrating, but, you know, how do you, how do you manage that? Cause it has to be, especially now with Colin out, like you got to still play the way you play. Right. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's tricky. I'll say it's, it's tricky. Cause I don't know how, cause what they call on me, they won't call on somebody else that does this. Cause I'm a big guy. Obviously. It's true. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm officiated difference because if somebody makes a contact on me and they bounce off, it's going it's gonna to be a foul on me. And that's, that's weird because I can't just fall because they because I'm a big guy. They're not gonna say he pushed me down. So it's hard. It's hard to uh, to read it because every game is not officiated the same. So it's kind of hard to get a feeling for the ref and what they're doing. And nine times out of ten, I'm gonna get penalized for any any contact. So it's it's definitely tricky. It's been especially tricky this year. I can't. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to pick my spots better. Well, I, I know you mentioned just a little bit earlier about uh, your time in high school with a, a really good Hamilton Heights team. I remember watching uh, watching you play when the Gators were recruiting you, and uh, there wasn't a lot of people your size at, at the high school level for sure. And, uh, yes, you've been, you've been getting that tough whistle for a long time. Again, you don't have to say anything. I'll, I'll say it for you. Um, but uh, you, you, just going back to something you mentioned earlier, talking about how uh, – uh, when you come in off the bench, um, which you had earlier in the season up until up until this past week, and and uh, you get to kind of look how the other team is 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 playing. So when you enter the game, you know um, where to pick your spots. And you were just talking now about where to pick your spots, knowing how the game is going to be officiated. Uh, wh what exactly are you looking for? Like when you're looking at, at how other teams are guarding actions, like so, so specifically, what are what are some of those things you're looking for that you think you can pick on? Oh, for me. I think, and I, I have to do a better job of this too. It's just um, picking out my spots to duck in a score, because mm -hmm. most of the time I duck in to create space for the other for my other teammates to get a lane to the basket, but uh, picking more parts to uh, get duck in to score, and like you said, my touch. So I'm I'm trying to look for the little little pockets I could find to get to get like a float up or get a hook shot hook shot up or something like that, or like a short roll, you know, stuff like that, and on the defensive end, seeing how if the big is rolling, if the big is popping, if uh if we're icing on the side, if the big can shoot, if the big can't shoot, you know, stuff like that. You guys had some success with that in the first half with you sealing off defenders so that Riley could drive, so that Kyle got a couple finishes there at the rim. Um, you know, obviously Bud Walton, you've been there now plenty. Like it's that's a tough place to play. It's a tough place to win, but there's still, there's still season left. I know Colin wouldn't want you guys to, to stop fighting. Sure. Um, 
and you got, you know, you got a big game against Kentucky. They're good, but they're certainly a beatable team. You guys excited to get get after it again? Yeah, we're definitely excited to get out of it, uh, get out to it. And we still believe we can win a lot of games. We still believe we can finish out the season strong. It's just uh, guys, you know, guys got to get back to the rim because Colin was a lot of our offense. So we got to find another way, you know, to produce to like as a team effort. So to produce what he could have gave us and what we could do at our, at our best. And uh, we just got to keep playing defense hard because we are, we are a top defensive team uh, and just keep finding ways to score and not and just playing with toughness, playing with that grit. So with this time left in the season, I'm, I, I obviously you're going to get to play a little bit bigger of a role here starting. I don't want to say what is something you want to you want to be working on with your game now that you have a, all these minutes because it's not really time for development. You're you're winning basketball games here, but what is something about your your kind of individual game that uh, you're looking to show off in the last games here that uh, that you think can help the team win? Um, just assert more dominance. Just be more of a dominant force down down low in the paint and uh, a lot more physicality. Just doing doing what I know I'm capable of doing, but doing it at a winning level, doing it doing it when uh, doing it in a way that impacts winning. You've been around some players that you know. I like the phrase "impacts winning." Um, that's what you want to do when you're on a team, and you've been around some guys that that certainly do that. Whether it's you know Keontae or yeah. or Colin or you know Trey Mann. Um, Tyree, you know, yeah, mm. Tyree for sure. It could be ACC Player of the Year. Um, you know, uh, I was telling Eric, uh, I'm going to vote for him for ACC Player of the Year. So, uh, I mean, how special is that? How special is that guy? But, but uh, Riley Kugel, um, you know, we got to ask. I mean, he's he's kind of got it, doesn't he? Yeah, he definitely he doesn't play like a freshman at all. He definitely has a maturity and smartness to his game that. And physicality is a game that a lot of people haven't seen. And uh he's grown a lot since the beginning of the season. He uh his game, he slowed down a lot. He picks his spots better. He uh knows when to attack, knows when to facilitate. Yeah, he's he uh reads the pick and roll great. So his game has gotten a lot better. And he's uh he plays defense too. So Yeah, that's improved. Freshman. It's improved so much defensively, like yeah. for real. So I, I think when we look at uh, some of these teams in the last couple of years, they've, they've been pretty old. Uh, the Gators definitely utilized uh, graduate transfers, older transfers. Um, this year, there is a couple of young guys like Riley Kugel. You know, Alex Shimchik playing the same position as you comes in as a freshman, has to play a bigger role now. Um, what has your role been like as a leader and like someone who's been at, at the University of Florida for, for multiple years now? Like how how has that role kind of developed for you? Um, it developed a lot because I've seen a lot of I've seen different teams. We've had a lot of success. We've had a lot of injuries, a lot of downhill. We've had a lot of I've seen a lot of things my whole my four years here. So just being able to like keep be level headed, no highs, no lows. You know, keep everybody even head, uh, and just you know be like more for have more like accountability as a team. Well, Jason, we're we're really appreciative of your time. I just want to ask you uh, one more question, which is, 
you know, and I know you have a COVID year, so we won't get into all that. You got a lot of thinking to do, I'm sure. But, um, you know, what, what's been your favorite thing about, about being a, a Gator? I mean, like I said, you're, you're a fan favorite. You've been here four years. You got this great personal story, but like you said, you've seen so much, whether it's tragedy like Keontae or, or, uh, you know, the NCAA tournament, you know, you've seen great players. What's been the best thing to you about, about being a Gator? Um, the best thing of being my my teammates, the teammates I've had here, we've all been great guys, all different character, different personalities in the locker room. So it does does be my favorite part of being a Gator. Uh, obviously, the the fans, everybody that come out and support us. But my favorite part is being you know having relationships with like Keontae, Scotty Lewis, Trey Mann, Andrew Nimhar. Like like these are players that go out to do big things. So just the relationships I've had with my teammates. Ah, that's fantastic to hear. Um, I, I'll, I'll get in w- w- one last question, which is I, I feel like it's kind of um, foolish after the great question that Neil just asked. But I, I, I had to ask you, um, you know, we were talking with the Gatorverse guys just the other day and uh, we kind of unofficially voted you with the, with the drippiest avatar. And uh, I think your style <laughs> is something that uh, that people who follow you on social media, you know, they, sure. they, they know you're a well-dressed guy. We know you, uh, you, you take pride in that kind of side of things. So do you... Uh, do you have any style kind of icons or, or how did you get into kind of this, uh, this very, you know, Jason Jatobo style that, that people can expect yeah. from you? Uh, my style, my style just has changed a lot. A lot of stuff uh, impact my style. Like I said, my friends impact my style because I got a lot of droopy friends too. So we're just trying to, trying to keep up for real. Cause I, I ain't really <laughs> showed all my fits for real. I really, I'm calm. But uh, yeah, just having been a lot of, being around a lot of drippy people is that that impacts my style. <laughs> oh, that's it. I I love it. Thanks so much, Jason. We appreciate you, man. No problem. Appreciate y'all. Thanks for having me. Yep. Well, we love the opportunity to catch up with Jason Jatobo, um, and taking this time to get to know him a little better. The Florida Basketball Hour and Jason Chitobo's appearance brought to you by the Gatorverse, an exclusive community dedicated to connecting University of Florida fans and student athletes. Members receive access to exclusive autograph collectibles, real-life experiences, giveaways, VIP events, and rewards, while athletes receive a majority of revenues from sales and their collectibles. To find out more about becoming a Gatorverse member and Locker Mania, visit Gatorverse.io. That's Gatorverse.io. I O on with our show. You'll actually hear us reference a, uh, the Jatobo interview later in the show. Um, blame me for, for how I end up ordering that, uh, around, but we appreciate everybody that's tuned in as always. Make sure you leave us a rating on Spotify, leave us a review on Apple, um, and subscribe to our Patreon. If you'd like multiple tiers, Uh, It's just a great chance for even more content aside from our show. So we appreciate you and hope you guys enjoy the rest of the program. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this episode, I will be joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric will be with us in just a moment. We will break down Florida's Lopsided loss at Arkansas. Uh, Gators competitive for a half, kind of fell off there in the second half. I guess kind of is is understating it. Um, and uh, that 
all but eliminates Florida from the NCAA tournament conversation. Um, the Gators really would have to probably win the SEC tournament at this point to make the NCAA tournament field. Um, crazier things have happened, but uh, seems fairly unlikely without All-American Colin Castleton. Going to go ahead and call him an All-American until he's snubbed from the team. We welcome in uh, Eric Fawcett. Eric um, hung in there for a half on Saturday, but defense kind of fell apart. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it's one of those things I, I tweeted out a couple days before the game or maybe just the day before when when Castleton is is on the floor versus off the floor um, in SEC play. And I believe I'm not even looking at it in front of me, but that the Gators were like a minus 23 net rating with Castleton off the floor in, in SEC play. And um, I, I didn't want to, you know, twist the knife or look, you know, I, I didn't need to bring any more negativity to the situation. But some of that is actually because. Florida's lineups have done well in garbage time. So when you uh, look at the minutes that the Gators have played with O'Connor Castleton um, with garbage time taken out, the Gators are closer to a minus 30 net rating. And I believe they, you know, their net rating against Arkansas would have been like minus 27. So essentially that was on par with what their performance has been without Castleton um, for the whole season. And that's probably a mix of they played a little bit better than we thought they would in the first half. But then, yeah, the wheels, the wheels fell off in, in the second. Um, so, uh, you, you know, it's, it's interesting. You were talking about, you, you just mentioned name calling um, Colin Castle an All-American until he snubbed. I, like, I'll be honest with you, Neil, like when, when you mentioned that I, I have, I have the, uh, the podcast ballot uh, this year for, postseason sec teams like honestly i'm not totally sure what i should do with with castleton um based on you know what m missing missing a couple games it's not like he's missing you know a significant amount of time he's honestly not even missing well i mean i we could argue this almost not even missing games that were going to be pretty consequential to the way that florida see again there's some people that thought maybe the gators could go on a run and, and it's entirely possible that they could have with Castleton. Um, but yeah, so I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what to, what to do with that one. We'll have to, you know, maybe, maybe even get, maybe even talk about it openly on the podcast, which you do with uh, players that have missed uh, a little bit of time in sec played injury. But, um, but again, yeah, like you said, the Gators hung in there um, particularly defensively, but in the second half, it just looked like they, they, they ran out of gas. I think that they were pretty, uh, pretty pumped up to try to compete without, without Castleton. Um, and, and they played with kind of max effort made up for a little bit of their, their deficiencies, um, but in the second half, I think the team with uh, with more talent kind of kind of won out. Yeah, it really did. And you know, the Gators. Um, so the tweet from Eric was Florida's net rating with Castleton on the floor in SEC play plus nine. Florida's rating with Castleton on the bench minus twenty three. Mm. Um, and then Eric said, "Not that there's any question, but Castleton has been the backbone of the Gators. His loss is going to be felt in a massive way. And, and you know, I think that stat alone kind of speaks to some of the, you know, and I, I, I I've got to do a better job in my personal space when I'm on the FBH account and it's not Malik or whatever of like not internalizing some of the things that I read um, as being like sound analysis, but I've seen people that are just like, Oh, well, Castleton's not that good. And, you know, and, <laughs> you know, like, well, Cassander wasn't wasn't that great a player anyway. You know, a lot of it's overblown. And it's like just the numbers overwhelmingly repudiate uh, <laughs> that contention. Um, it's just absolute nonsense. I mean, again, he went into the to the Ole Miss game, 10th and Ken Palm. He was going to leave it, I think, 12th, maybe. 
um, because he kind of was having a quiet game against the Rebels um, before the injury. Uh, He had that four-game run prior to that where, you know, he was pretty much the best player on the floor in every one of those games, unless you think Kaysan Wallace was the best player on the floor at Grupp. You could make that argument. Um, I don't know, man. I I just don't know what – uh, what more he had to do to prove himself to people. And I don't think that he should honestly be too worried about that, Eric. Uh, the reality is um, he was having a great senior year and, you know, he's gone and his absence was felt terribly on uh, Saturday where Florida came into the game, you know, ranked seventh in the country in two point defense, Eric. And uh, I think they gave up 65% at the rim uh, against the Razorbacks. Yeah, of course, the the rim protection of of, of Castleton is is pretty massive when he's in the game. Um, so that wasn't there. Um, you, you know, with with Alex Shimchik, uh, I don't think that anyone was was really expecting that he'd have to play um, minutes of any consequence this year. Um, he of course finds himself in a situation where he's playing against Arkansas in essentially his first real minutes of the game. Unless I'm forgetting something, I believe this is kind of his first minutes outside of. A, a garbage yeah, time or a situation. So, you know, you get thrown in against, against Alabama and it's like, Hey, try to, uh, you know, try to keep some of these, these athletes in front of you. Um, <laughs> that's tough. I thought he had some, you know, he, he had some good moments. Like let's, let's be clear. Um, we saw the jump shot, which looks to be, you know, well, even when he kind of committed to the Gators was kind of the thing that we thought, Oh, here's, here's a guy bringing a little bit of stretch to the front court that the Gators don't currently have got a pretty good frame. I thought he understood the offense um, pretty well. There was times where he was just out there like screening for everyone, which I kind of liked that the Gators just kind of put him in when he was on the floor, they just said like, Hey, you're going to, you know, ball screen this guy. If it's not there, you're going to rotate and set aside ball screen. And if not, the ball's going to get reversed and you go. So so this made the game quite simple for him. And so there's, there's some good moments offensively. I thought defensively, it was uncomfortable to watch, unfortunately for Shimchik. And I don't, you know, this is a, a freshman who, I'll remind people I had postgraduate coaches tell me that they were, that they thought they were going to get him for this year. You know, there was postgrad, like, so th- there was a realistic opportunity, like chance that, that Chim Chick was playing postgraduate basketball this year, not, you know, playing against Arkansas in the sec. So again, when I say that things were looking pretty rough defensively at times, and he looked really uncomfortable on that end, Hey, this is, you know, he's uh, far from a finished product, but especially in, in transition, there was a couple of times, I, I shouldn't laugh, but, you know, he was running back in transition and I'm sure, you know, he knows, oh, I got to protect the rim. And he ran so far under Florida's own rim that Arkansas centers came and like sealed him and his like his feet were on the baseline. And then there was, you know, easy seals for it. For, so there's just there's some things defensively that um, really suffered with Shimchik in the game, though he brought a little bit more offense than Jason Jatobo did. And while Jason Jatobo has. Um, elements of, of defense that are that are positive um yeah he's not going to bring the, the rim protection for sure so um yeah it's it's unfortunate too there's there's part of me that was kind of wondering with how bad florida started the season def- or yeah, defensively um how high could they finish in like all these metrics considering how good they have been for a couple months and um unfortunately we're we're, we're not going to see um well i mean we'll, we'll see something but it's not going to be a, a totally accurate look because i believe the gators dropped 21st and ken palm took a pretty significant drop um in defense after this one yeah they're down to 20 after uh the weekend um and had gone into the Ole Miss game 11th. Mm, so they're, wow. they're, you know, a nine spot fall in two games uh, is not, not optimal. 
Um, and, you know, Jason Jatobo, I mean, that was one of the things Eric Pastrana told me last year was that they'd love to get Jason on the floor more because he can seal defenders, um, which helps Florida be better at driving. Um, he has nice touch. You know, a lot of he, – he's smart. So – and we're going to talk to Jason Jatobo uh, later in this podcast. But, I mean, I think, you know, when you uh, evaluate what Jason's good at, you know, there's two things that stand out that he struggles with. And Coach Pastrano was like, he's never going to be a rim protector because he's not a guy that really plays above the rim. And then also when he gets moved away from the basket. And this was a problem with, with the white regime. And I think it, you know, you saw how Arkansas attacked it on um, Saturday. When he gets more than five or six feet away uh, from from the basket, that's kind of where his limitations as a power six player um, become super obvious because it's just difficult for him, uh, to move his feet and, and get back in position. Um, the further away he gets from the, the 10. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to talking to, to Jason later. Um, you know, he's one of those guys that like, let's, let's be, be real. Anyone who's listened to the podcast has known that I've spent a couple seasons here, um, expressing my, um, my concerns that I, that he might not be a power six player. So, you know, I, like, I, I've been pretty open with that. I've been skeptical about whether this is a guy that can compete at a high level or in the sec. Um, but it's hard because we love him. So, I mean, I'm, I think he's a, like you said, he's a very intelligent player. Um, he's got really good touch. He's a great teammate and guys love him. Um, but so, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to that, that conversation later, but uh, it, it's, you know, I've, I've, like you said, those limitations are there. And I'm going to give one more big limitation. I think a lot of people, if you would have said, oh, the Gators are going to have a six foot 11, 300 pounder ish approximately. I'm not sure what he's at right now. Uh, well, into the season playing, we'll say 300 ish. Um, oh, I bet he's an absolute monster on the glass. Um, something I've always kind of pointed out is that he's actually been a, a well below average uh, rebounder, particularly on the defensive end. And that's something where the Gators have struggled for years, defensive rebounding. They haven't been very good defensive rebounding this year. And then against Arkansas, he plays 24 minutes and he has two rebounds and only one of those is, is defensive. So that's another kind of deficiency to his game. It's like, Hey, if you're going to be a six foot 11, 300 pounder out there, you need to like, I like, I, I don't think it's unfair to say you need to absolutely dominate the glass. Um, or if, if nothing else, be a plus rebounder. And the thing is, he's not a plus. He's definitely not dominating. He's not a plus rebounder. He's not even an average rebounder. Right now, he's a below average um, rebounder. And and something that, um, you know, I, you know, I will say that um, it's rebounding numbers are always a little bit dubious. Um, we talk about that a lot. But right now, he is second last on the Gators in defensive rebounding percentage at eight point nine percent. And Kyle Lofton has lasted 8.7% as a reference point. So he is almost last in the Gators in defensive rebounding percentage. Um, for a little bit of a reference, Colin Castleton is like outstanding. Um, so, you know, he's he's at 20%, um, but that's like a really good number. But like Alex Fudge is at like 16%. And then like Myron Jones is at 14%. And then, you know, Jason Show is down at 8.9%. So that's going to be another thing that like if he's going to, you know, he's, he's going to be a, a quality player for the Gators or if he's going to be, you know, an SEC player, like at, at the size, um, you know, it, you, you can't be poor or you can't be limited in the ways that, that Neil just mentioned and also be, you know, a below average rebounder. So that was another thing we saw against Arkansas. The Gators were not able to control, um, control the glass. And, uh, 
for, for a team that is, of course is going to need a lot of things right um, to win games or stay competitive without Colin Castleton. Um, there's just, you know, there's a lot of holes to plug for sure. I'm not, you know, and it's, it's not like we can say, oh, the Gators should have been able to plug all those, but uh, rebounding was one of them. You'd probably like a six foot 11, 300 pound player to help control that a little bit, but that has not been the case throughout his career. Yeah. I mean, there's not many players and unfortunately there's not many players physique or stature wise that really are comparable to Jason in the sec right now. Um, mm. and jo Josh Gray is seven, one, two seventy five. Um, and you know, Josh averages what, like six, I think six rebounds a game. Um, I wrote it down and then I didn't bring the pad upstairs to record with me, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, I mean, he's, He's a much better rebounder than Jatobo is. Now he doesn't. Josh, have Josh, Josh Gray has a 26% defensive rebounding rate, which would I, I'm pretty sure would be like best in the country if he played enough minutes to qualify. So that's, there you go. That so, that tells you something about like, and you know the deficiencies that Josh Gray has, but you know, but if he can defensive rebound the ball like that, right? And that's at seven one, you know, two hundred seven. Um, so. Uh, and that's and that number is from the South Carolina website. I think ESPN has him at like. 255 and i can tell you having seen him 20 feet away that there is not a chance in the world that he weighs 255 pounds <laughs> but nonetheless um he just moves people around and gets rebounds and and jason has struggled to do that so that's a good point um that that eric makes two things i wanted to touch on in this arkansas game before we kind of punt it and do a couple listener questions um one was just the way that riley kugel yet again against high level athletes sort of looks the part of a guy that belongs on the floor with them. He actually had a couple drives where he took two other top 50 freshmen to the rim and, and scored on them. Uh, Jordan Walsh, you know, I thought he kind of embarrassed him actually. And then he had another tough drive where he finished through contact against Nick Smith. Didn't get the call, but um, you know, uh, Jimmy Dykes made the comment, on the broadcast. And I happen to like Jimmy Dykes a lot. I think he's very good at his job. And he said, one of the things that these lottery picks need to be able to do consistently and show scouts is the ability to kind of finish through contact and traffic. And we're already seeing Riley Kugel do that. I'm not saying that Riley Kugel's a lottery pick right now or anything of that sort. I'm just saying that when on the floor against other top 50 freshmen, Riley Kugel looked every bit uh, the, the player that, that they were in, in many ways. I I think that like, I've just shout out Graham Hall who said quite early in the year that he wouldn't be surprised if Riley Kugel was one and done. And I thought I was really high on Riley Kugel, but I wasn't quite ready to go there. I am at the point where honestly, I'm not saying I would predict him to, to leave, to go to the NBA right now, but I would not be like, it would not shock me um, to see that again, what he is like his three best games this season have been against Alabama, Arkansas and UConn. Like he's the guy who, you know, we've, we've mentioned that he has competed at the highest level against like NBA talent and, and like that has brought the best out of him. And the fact that he is like in an offense that is struggling in a situation that's not great, he is showing like beyond flashes, he is stringing together like multiple minutes of, of fantastic basketball. And uh, it just wouldn't shock me at all at, the, at this point if a team said, hey, like, if you go right now, maybe they don't use a second-round pick, but they if, if they had a two-way deal waiting for him, I wouldn't be surprised. And if he wants to take that, that wouldn't shock me. And we're getting into off-season discussions, which could be scary because this is a guy right now that, like, I do think he's in the conversation. Like, like I think if he comes back for another year, I think he's going to be, like, a first-round pick. I, I really – 
think he is looks fantastic yeah. and draft Twitter starting to talk about him. I've started to reach out to um, some of the guys that used to reach out. You know, I, I, I got to tell you guys, um, uh, the, some, some of these NBA scouts that were, you know, reaching out to talk to me, uh, not, not as keen after the the way that Carrie Blackshear and, and Scotty Lewis's times went at the Florida, they, they're not as keen to talk to me, unfortunately, <laughs> but you know, I will try to, I will try to talk to them and see what, uh, see what they have to say. Um, but, uh, it's, it's one of those things where he is starting to shape very much, you know, if he comes back next year to Florida um, or if he doesn't, um, that's going to be a massive decision. I think he has been outstanding. And um, if, if he does go, uh, I've, I've got to say full, full credit to, to Graham Hall for being the first guy I've, I've heard of, yeah. dra- you know, I didn't hear anyone on draft Twitter. There's people that talked about him as a future NBA player. I don't think anyone thought, Oh, maybe he'd go for one year and then become a second rounder and undrafted free agent with a, contract waiting for him um but graham said he wouldn't be surprised and, and kind of pointed out so well we'll see if that happens i don't know if anyone wants to hear that right now particularly after he was florida's you know easily best player against arkansas um but he was really good um i do want to ask you one thing about arkansas and then you know that's pretty much i'd love to get to listener questions but um you you texted me during the game and you mentioned that um there there were times where florida's offense looked 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 pretty good um and Maybe that's is that you know kind of put up the the half rhetorical question of you know do you wonder if it's because they're not looking to post the ball up every possession to Castleton, and again I don't think you were suggesting oh is this team better offensively with without Castleton that certainly wasn't the but like do you think there's any any value to the Gators maybe you know being playing with it playing without a guy that they're going to stick on the block and, and try to get the ball into like do you think there's anything that that florida could look to build on offensively for you know maybe next season where like we don't know who their starting center is going to be um but the talent might be a little bit more on the perimeter than than on the inside well there are a couple things that florida did that i liked and again i mentioned i referenced jatoba's kind of ability to wall off defenders and that helps open up driving lanes is something that coach pastrana liked about him that's something that we saw him do productively uh, Saturday. Um, it's part of the reason I think Jason's plus minus was like minus 10, even though I didn't think he played particularly well. Um, and I think Jason would tell you, I didn't play particularly well. Um, but you know, he does do in that respect, that's something that Colin doesn't do because Colin is obviously skinny and tall and, and lanky and gangly and long. Right. Um, he's not a wall off guy. So, you know, I do think it opens up certain things that that Florida didn't do. I also liked the fact that they posted Kyle Lofton up a couple times and got some um, cuts off the ball with Kyle and his ability to pass intelligently. So, you know, I think we saw wrinkles to the offense. I would have loved to see much earlier in the season. And I think that was kind of the tenor of, of the text message that, that I was sending to you. Um, You know, I also think, you know, we also saw in the first half a bit of why I thought this was a winnable matchup for Florida. I mean, the Mitchell brothers, put up monster numbers, but um, they were doing it in Shimshek and Jatobo and they just aren't of the caliber of big that Colin Castleton is. And it was easy to see a universe where mm-hmm. with Colin on the floor, Colin could have eaten pretty, uh, pretty healthily uh, in this game against them because when Florida drove the lane, the Mitchell brothers were fairly helpless to, to do anything. And, you know, for all the points Jalen Graham scored, he was like sixth or seventh on Arkansas and plus minus. So it tells you that he's not a particularly plus defender at the rim either, Eric. Yeah. I did not have him leading the game and scoring on, on my bingo card. Um, so uh, impressive game for him. And it's also one of those things that if I would have told you, <laughs> right. Oh, you know, he's, he's whatever he scored 26 or whatever he had, um, 
you know, if, if, if we would have known that he was going to go off like that, yeah, we would have known the Gators would have had um, not much of a chance. But uh, yeah, it's uh, that's I don't know if there's anything more I have to say about that one. I, I, I think that uh, it is what it is um, when it comes to playing without Colin Castleton. I think that it pretty much bared out exactly as we would have imagined. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I referenced the line often. I, I, I don't partake in, in, in sports betting, but I always do look at the lines. It's very interesting to see um, what, what, uh, what these very intelligent odds makers um, have in place for these games. And uh, I think it was like Arkansas by like nine or, or, or 10. And it was one of those yeah, things no, no, no. where I, I, you know, where like, you know, like I said, I, I don't partake in, in, in sports betting and I'm unable to, but if I was, you know, that number, looked you know <laughs> that was that was one i did not think was was very close and i think and again like i said ultimately the game bared out how florida's season has gone without colin castleton and uh that would be to lose by you know around 20 and uh of course that's what that's what happens so um again tougher odds makers to it to account for something like that i'm sure they'll be a little bit more dialed in for 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 the next one but uh yeah that's uh the the, the gators fought they played I, I even think played with confidence, I would say, um, for much of the game. Um, didn't look like they kind of, you know, were going to lay down and die. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's life without Colin Castleton. Um, no team in the country is really built to lose their best player and compete at a high level, particularly not one that's, you know, found themselves on the wrong side of the bubble before the injury. Oh, yeah. I mean, 100%. Um, I just wanted to add one more thing on the Riley Kugel stuff and it's something that i mentioned to our patreons again thank you to those folks um we really appreciate you it's one of my at the buzzer hot takes was you know what are we seeing from riley kugel are we seeing a kid that that might sign a two-way deal it's funny that eric and i are kind of thinking along the same lines on that front and i said you know i think he could come back and become a lottery pick you know one thing i think he's got to fix for example is his three-point shooting i don't think that the shot looks bad eric by any stretch of the imagination um, and I'm willing to give him a pass on a couple of the misses Saturday because he was kind of put in terrible situations where he was given the ball with like three seconds left on the shot clock and had to chuck stuff up. Um, but you know, he has had a few games now where he's one of five, one of six, two of seven, you know, I'd really like to see him around 35% before he ventures off to the NBA and that line gets extended a little bit. But in terms of getting to the basket, finishing through contact, obviously I think already there. And then, um, you know, I just think an astronomically better defender than he was in November. Yes, definitely. And and there's still, there's still work to be done there for, for sure. But it's one of those things that like, you know, there's, there's, there's two things that, you know, these NBA coaches are pretty confident they can, they can fix on players. And that's like teaching them to defend if they've got raw physical ability and that's fixing jump shots. So that's the other thing too, that it's like, yeah, obviously his his three point shooting is not a finished product, but like if you like other elements of his game that like the ones you talked about, and teams believe in that um, that kind of creativity he has offensively mixed in with that size and athleticism, and the shooting is is the issue. Like I can I can promise you for a player that young, like these these coaches are going to think that's no problem. They'll they'll get him in the gym with one of their player development guys, and they'll fix that jumper. So yeah, I'm fascinated, and uh, it's uh, it's it's one of those things that would almost be like objectively funny if Florida season went the way it did while also, you know, producing a one and done player that we didn't think would be one and done except for maybe Graham Hall. Like, you know, it'd be, it'd be cruel, but uh, that uh, give, given the Gators lack of success on the court. Um, but Hey, it would also be fantastic for, for, for Riley Kugel. Um, though I think that conversation might be 
um, hey, maybe if he goes now, he I like gets a two way, which a team could go in with the promise and give him a good situation there. Um, or it could be that he comes back and he's you know someone who who's the on on you know Jonathan Gavoni's first uh, mock draft of next year and he's like twenty seventh or something. So um, it'll be interesting to watch. Um, and it's uh, good to be talking about you know potential first round picks on the Gators, even if it's uh, even if it's in the context of like oh man maybe uh, maybe we're gonna you know, lose a guy before he's able to win some NCAA tournament games with the Gators. Oh, and you always want that. I mean, I, I go back a quarter century ago to when I was a baby falling in love with, with Florida basketball. And I can tell people that, you know, and of course it's so funny now that that ended up being like a season ending suspension, you know, where in today's universe, Jason Williams probably gets two games for the marijuana issue, but um, 25. 25 years ago, he was done at Florida after 20 games. Um, Billy Donovan has said it helped him immensely to have Jay Will on his early teams go to the NBA um, because all of a sudden kids were like, wait a minute, I can go play for this 30-something-year-old coach and and get to the league. And, you know, it's not just Graham Hall. I mean, I talked to Ben Witherspoon about Riley Google this summer, and um, Ben Witherspoon now on the UCF staff uh, – just totally revolutionized the Dr. Phillips program in basically three years. Um, was an assistant at Montverde before that. Um, just a great basketball mind. And I said, well, how many guys do you have that can go to the league from that team? I mean, you had three stars. And he said, oh, Ernest Uday is the only one who's really ready, um, you know, quickly. And I was like, even though, and he said, oh, no doubt. And, you know, so Ben Witherspoon appears to be wrong too. So it's not just Eric Fawcett. So props to Graham Hall. Um, as we move on to some listener questions, we remind you the Florida basketball hour is brought to you by the Gatorverse an exclusive community dedicated to connecting university of Florida fans and student athletes. Members will receive access to exclusive autograph collectibles, real life experiences, giveaways, VIP events and rewards while athletes receive a majority of revenue from sales of their collectibles to find out more about becoming a Gatorverse member and Locker Mania, Open Locker, which sponsors and, um, the Gatorverse. Visit Gatorverse.io. Thank you to Gatorverse for being our sponsor. We head into our listener questions with one from a great longtime listener, William Norris. Um, and he he asked hard questions. And at Florida Basketball Hour, we have never been above answering hard questions. So here we go, Eric. This is a great one, by the way, and that's why I'm starting with it, um, even though it wasn't first in line. Um, how did Golden manage the roster this year? Are we really supposed to believe? I'm just reading the question. This is not me editorializing. Yeah. <laughs> um, are we really supposed to believe he forgot about Kowasi during Feast Week? Trey Bonham somehow went from the best scorer on the team to unplayable. Riley Kugel randomly didn't play for four straight games. Um, Shimmy had some moments where he looked totally lost and then didn't play and then came out and buried triples on Saturday. Jatobo, he's recovering from an injury but looked unplayable. That and timeout usage really concerned me moving forward. I'd really love your thoughts because some of this stuff has nothing to do with Jimmy's and Joe's. Ooh. Yeah, there's a there's a few tough, tough ones um, weaved in there. Um, I mean, when it comes to players that have been on the court and, and off the court, um, I, you know, there's, there's, there's stuff that I'm not, not able to share. Um, but yeah, it's, is, 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 is all the, 
decisions of who's been on the court basketball related. No, um, in, in my opinion, and based off what I've heard um, from good sources, no, I do not think that every decision of, of who has played the amount of minutes or, you know, some of these DNPs is at all basketball related decisions. No, I, I don't think that's the case. Um, I unfortunately will not get into anything more than that. Um, which is probably going to be frustrating to you. And I'm so sorry to, <laughs> to have to do that. Um, but uh, I think some people might even still have a breath of fresh air to, to find out that like, oh, it wasn't just a, a basketball decision while, why some of these guys didn't play a couple of these games or, um, you know, not get sitted or not get a lot of run in, in certain ones. Um, I think uh, when it comes to, uh, um, you know, I'll, I'll say it too, you know, he did mention, you know, Shimchik comes in the game and starts raining threes. Um that's awesome for Shimchik. I have not been clamoring for Shimchik minutes this yeah. year, respectfully. And, and again, for the reasons I laid out earlier, I think he's still got a, a long way to go. Um, hey, huge credit for him to have like eight and six in his first real game. Like that's fantastic and shows signs. But I, I don't look at that and be like, oh, well, clearly he should have been playing more so far this season. Um, I'm not there. I'm kind of in, in agreement. Um but yeah, when it comes to, you know, timeout usage and, and stuff on the court, like that's the stuff I'm, you know, at, a little bit more at, uh, at liberty to discuss. And, and yeah, we've, we've been, uh, uh, been pretty critical of the, the offensive um, game plan, the scheme, the utilization of these players. I think we have maintained on the podcast. That this team is quite talented and we don't think that um, we don't think the talent is, is, is a major issue, but that there still are holes. And again, the front court depth was, was always going to be a problem. Um, and we know that the Gators were trying to get another body up there. Um, of course, I think that if CJ Felder was playing, you know, regular minutes, like we expected, you know, I thought he was going to start at the beginning of the season, then maybe the front court depth is an issue. I mean, it's always going to be an issue if, if Castleton goes down, but um, yeah, it's, it's, and, and that's something that, again, I will say, like we've mentioned that we thought, well, you know, coach was able to get, pretty much most of the guys that he had his eyes on and really wanted in the transfer portal, you know, Malik Grady always pointed out, it's like, well, he didn't get, you know, Janai broom, which is one of those things where it's like, I don't know if that's exactly what the team is missing, but at the same time, front court depth is, you know, an issue right now for the team and yeah. having Janai right. broom would have certainly changed that. So um, yeah, those are kind of, like, there's a lot of, a lot of points in there. I touched on a couple, but what did, what did I miss Neil or what do you have to, uh, to say on those? Well, I think some of the timeout, usage was poor i agree with that like he does seem reluctant to call a timeout when another team goes on the run or um some of the stuff that we traditionally get used to seeing coaches do um particularly at the power six level i think there's some wcc um you know his limited coaching experience as a head coach is in the wcc so maybe that's not something that happens as much there um, you know, maybe you don't worry as much about ebbs and flows and, and road crowds and stuff. Um, but I would say Florida's post timeout offense is good. I mean, even Saturday, like Florida came out of a timeout where they were, they called a timeout down six, which I thought was an effectively used timeout. And I will agree with William um, on the, who asked the question, William Norris and say, I actually felt like that timeout was progress because Florida went from up 23, 17 to down by six in like, a minute and a half and Todd called a timeout and they came out of the timeout. They got a stop and then they came down and they ran a beautiful little uh, pick and roll for Jatobo and Jatobo just fumbled the ball out of bounds. I mean, again, that's not Todd Golden's fault. Um, you know, it should have been a layup. Uh, so I think some of Florida's post timeout plays have been pretty good um, lately. So 
you know, timeout usage and what you call out of timeouts are different, obviously, but I would add that to just try to bring some fairness um, to the conversation. I don't think you missed anything else. Um, and I wanted to move on to the next question, which comes from uh, James McLean, an, a former uh, Division One college player who's been a longtime listener to the show. And he asked, uh, Neil and Eric, do you guys think that the guards outside of Kyle often really understand the offense? He says, I sit in row 20, um, which, you know, allows me to hear things from time to time. We used to call these rubs in college, but once Florida enters the post, you don't hear much from the guards traditionally, at least the way I was coached. Oh, and by the way, this is how I coach kids too. You'll hear them communicating on the wing as to what they're about to do, whether it's spin, flare, pop. Uh, he says, Florida's guards don't say much outside of Kyle. Do you think maybe this means they don't understand what Kevin Hubday has asked them to do? Because there seems to be a disjoint between Florida's productivity and what Hubday was able to do at Richmond. Yeah, great question. Uh, it's a great question. Um, oh, maybe. Yeah, I, I I think first of all, it's like when it comes to just to some of the guys not understand the offense. I'll say this: Has Florida ever really gotten to a split cut when they've thrown the ball into the post? Have they ever really flared a shooter? Have they ever really ran a, a, a stagger for a shooter after entering yeah. the ball? Like we've never seen really any of that. So when it doesn't happen, I'm not thinking, oh, the guys don't understand the offense. Yeah, if that makes sense. I just yep. don't know if they have it built in. Um, my re my response would be yes. Teams that are effective using the post need to be running actions away from the uh, away from that post action um, to prevent a double team to punish teams for digging down. But you know, is it a matter of not understanding? I don't I don't really know what it is. And you know, and of course, you know, Hubdy's going to catch a lot of, of flack. He was kind of named the offensive coordinator, and the offense has been not very good at all. So it's uh, again, I've I've kind of mentioned that I don't know how much. Like it's, it's so hard to know exactly how much he's responsible for and what's not, but you know, I'll say this regarding, Oh, he, you know, Richmond was awesome offensively when he was there. Well, Richmond was like Mooney is an incredible coach. Hey, and actually, you know, Mooney just had to step away for because he's dealing with heart illness. So um, our thoughts are with him. He's an excellent coach there. Richmond has been for a long time and it's sad to see him kind of walking away. Has a pretty good team this year, probably one that wouldn't be dancing, but uh, they've been consistently good there. And um, seeing him have to step away at this time is, is, is hard. Um, but again, I just mentioned he's been really good for a lot of years. So, you know, Richmond has been really good offensively for like the last like six years. So they were outstanding offensively before Hubby was there and they've been awesome this year or really good this year. So yep. I, and they've been largely running the same stuff, the Princeton stuff that, that Moody's been, you know, known for. So I will, I will say that I was also victim to, or not victim, but that's a strong word. I also thought, oh, he's coming from Richmond who runs awesome offense. That means that he must be bringing awesome offense to the Gators, but it's also one of those things where, again, it's not like Richmond was poor. They put in Hub D as the offensive coordinator and then they were awesome offensively. It was like, they were already awesome offensively. Then Hub D was there for, you know, one season, was it? I think just one season, maybe two. And, you know, now he's at Florida. But again, I, I'm not sure it would be reasonable to look at the offensive success of Richmond last year and and, and put it on, on Hubdy because they were awesome the last few years running the same stuff. So again, it'll be something that's going to be interesting for <clears throat> off-season discussions. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty of people 
people asking those questions um, in press conferences and stuff like that about, you know, responsibilities within the offense and trying to find out, you know, what, what happened with this offense. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And we, um, you know, to come from a, <clears throat> a former division one player, that's uh that's, that's wonderful to hear. And I'm glad that uh, when you were guys entered the post, you guys, you know, ran some splits away from, <laughs> away from the ball. Yeah, that is nice. Uh, yeah. I, I, I've said all, all year, I think even when Florida does cut, their cuts are slow. Um, and it's almost as if it's just improvisation. I don't want to say that it, it's definitely a player improvising, but how many times is it Kyle Lofton that's making those, those late cuts, right? And just something that, you know, either he's coached to do or he's late in doing, but a player of Kyle's experience I don't think is late. I thought that Hub Day was kind of a curious offensive uh, coordinator hire. Um, I said that on the podcast. I don't think I ever labeled him as like a genius. I thought, Hey, Richmond runs good stuff. Hopefully he brings some of that here. You know, I was a longtime advocate of Chris Acker. Um, I thought anybody that could take San Diego state from 180th and offensive efficiency to second, um, even if they had Yanni Wetzel and Malachi Flynn um, was obviously a pretty good mind. Um, to have them back in the top 50 in, in offensive efficiency the last two years. Um, three of the four years he's been there, they've been in the top 50, and he's a West Coast guy just like Todd Golden. So I thought, you know, they probably know each other. Um, that would have been who I would have hired, and I haven't shied away from from saying that I still think that would be the guy that I'd go and get. But uh, we'll see how all that shakes out um, in year two under Todd. Uh, we have a good question from um, Jake Hood who asked, uh, what would priority number one be for you and Eric Fawcett if you were the general managers of the Florida Gators heading into next season? My, my first priority would be keep Riley Kugel on campus somehow. But, um, uh, you know, I, I do appreciate that uh, question. And then my second priority uh, I think would be to go and get two bigs in the portal. And I would say, you know, um, if Ernest Sude hits the portal, great. Uh, we'll see. Um, but I don't believe it or not think that they should just go after Ernest Sude because he's from Gainesville and he was a five-star recruit and they thought they could get him in the first place. Like quite honestly, I would go and get a proven productive pick uh, before I would bring in a guy like Ernest Sude and say, look at all this potential that he uses. Uh, so maybe that's a hot incendiary take um, for people, especially ones that like big five stars to land on campus. But um, that would kind of be my my first thought. Keep Riley Kugel is is one, two is is bigs in the portal. Yeah, I think that um, is is it's and again we're probably um, guilty of this as well, where we're like it's the 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 mystery box of <clears throat> of a player in the portal is always. Um, always something that uh, uh, is going to be enticing, but I think there's also like a bird in the hand is, is worth doing the bush. And right now the Gators have a guy in Riley Kugel who has proven that he can put up, you know, 13, 15, 17 points as a freshman against the best, most athletic teams the Gators are going to face. So if, yeah, if you can keep that guy around, that's like, I'm going to take the the bird in the hand and say like, Hey, this is a guy that we think could be a 17 point per game or 15 point game point per game score and not gamble on something else. And um, you know, it's, it's too early to talk about this, Neil. We'll talk about this in the off season, but of course, as everyone knows before the season, I do 
projections for Florida's transfers that come in. And every year people look at them and say, oh, you only have this many points allotted for this player, but he scored so many points that have been major. Um, you know, that happens every single year. And at least with the Gators, um, mostly these guys end up scoring a little bit less than, than what people think. So again, um, it's, I'm not saying that the Gators shouldn't go get really good mid-major players. Will Richard has been fantastic. If you could get a Will Richard every year, hell yeah, sign me up for that. Um, but yeah, it's just, if, if it's, I, I would be like, if you can keep Riley Kugel in Gainesville, that's going to be much more exciting to me than, um, you know, uh, bring in new guys. And I'd also say like, again, and I don't want to speculate, but the Gators have some other, you know, talented wings that, are at the point that that might look elsewhere with, you know, with Kowasi Reeves coming off the bench at this point while still having flashes. Is he someone who looks elsewhere? That's another one where like, I'm thinking again, while his, his career maybe hasn't been as productive as, as, as we would have thought early. Well, you know, he's someone who I think that uh, has, has proven at least to, you know, some level that he can score at a really high level in the SEC. That's a guy that I would like try to keep around. So that's one of the things that like, if I was, you know, in that position, I'm trying to keep guys, guys home a little bit that have shown production. And then, um, you know, I'm trying to find a really, really good point guard. I'm trying to like, when it comes to the portal, um, I, what you're saying is probably correct, Neil, because there is such a shortage of bigs. That's where the supply does not meet demand in college basketball, particularly at the high major level. So that's probably the actual right answer. But at the same time, like, you know, I mentioned in the off season, when I was doing my projections, I thought Sule boom was, the best point guard um, on the uh, available. Um, you could argue there's a couple other fantastic players as well, but you know, with all due respect to Kyle Lofton, who has been good, I don't think he's been great. And I think Sule boom would have been great. So I think that Florida season, um, their offense also would have looked a lot, a lot different if they had a great point guard. Um, and, and Hey, well, actually, well, I'll go one, one more thing back to the point about keeping guys at home. And again, there was a lot of factors that went into Tyree Appleby leaving, um, a lot that I'm not sure people fully are aware of, but just what, what would Florida have looked like if they kept Tyree Appleby at home? Who's, you know, now, uh, I, I think, and again, a lot of people, I think were tired of Appleby. And I think there's a lot of people that were ready for Tyree Appleby to go and wanted him gone. And it's like, he proved that he could play at a high level in the sec and, if, if you can like, th those are guys you just have to keep around, I think, versus, you know, try to try, trying to bring in always new guys. And, and I'm not saying Florida staff pushed him out or anything like that. I think he was probably on his, on his way anyways, but I'm not sure there was a massive, massive attempt to, to keep him in Gainesville. And I, again, I would have, I think the Gators would have looked a lot different if they said Tyree Appleby. So um, yeah, it's a great question. This general manager thing, because in the roster build year of the, or era of the transfer portal, um, these are, these are important questions. And then the last question that we'll ask before we dive into Kentucky is uh, from Jared Johnston, who asks, Neil, are you ready to punt on Niles Lane yet? It is obvious that he is just not a power six basketball player. Um, no. <laughs> In a word, <laughs> no. Hey, Jared, it's always good to hear from a fan, man. Um no, I, well, what I'll say on that is no. Like, I'm sorry. Uh, so Niles was a starter for a power six basketball team at the end of last season. Um, you know, started what five of Florida's last seven games. Um, he played the best game of his career in Florida's last game um, last year, or well, their last game that mattered in, in the SEC tournament. Uh, he was a top 25 points per possession on ball defender in college basketball. 
Um, and he started to show flashes of being able to attack a closeout at the collegiate level, um, which I think was always going to be his offensive game. I don't think he's a very good dribbler, um, but, you know, I do think that he played at a pretty high level in high school and didn't ever have problems getting buckets, uh, which makes me think given enough playing time, he could get buckets at the power six level in college too. Um, I don't think he was necessarily given, and I'm not going to get into the reasons for this on the show. I'm going to, I'm going to do what Eric did and just say the conversations I've had, I'm not certain how equitable the shake that Niles got has really and truly been. Um, I can tell you when a team is shooting 65% at the bucket, getting dribble penetration whenever they want, and you're down 20 points and you still aren't putting Niles Lane on the floor. Um, that moves to a curiosity to me that really can't be explained away other than any other reason than you're just not interested in playing him. Um, I can tell you that Niles is close to getting his degree. Um, he's an honor student at Florida. Good for him. Um, I know he'd love to get his degree at Florida. I know he loves being a Gator, uh, but I don't anticipate he'll be back next season because, you know, he deserves a chance to play high level basketball and I think he's good enough. So my answer to your question is no, I'm not punting on him. Even if I have to punt on him being a, a you know, a, a productive player at Florida. Yeah. Like I, I I'm with you. And again, you were, you were asked this question directly. I don't need to add anything else, but I think like for me, I just punted on talking about it because it just became like, we knew he wasn't going to play regular shift for the Gators. So at some right. point while, while we've had the, the longstanding bit of advocating for him, like there's just a point where like, you know, it was like going back a couple of years ago when I was certain that Florida's lineup of two bigs on the floor was going to be Florida's best way to, to, to win. And they had success with him. They didn't go back. And, you know, for a couple of weeks, I was like, this is what the Gators need to do. There's a point where it's just like, yeah, we can keep saying, Oh, we think this guy should start. We think this guy should play minutes. We think the Gators should play this way. Like what did, it doesn't happen. We just have to, we just have to punt on, on talking about it. Um, but yeah, no, I, if, if he, what does hit the portal, like, I think that there's going to be a lot of high major coaches that are thinking, Hey, like this could be a, like, like I'm thinking like lower end high major teams are going to look and say like, Hey, this is a guy that we think there could be value. If he ends up at the mid major level, I think that those guys have a stud who's going to be, who would athletically dominate in a lot of leagues. So if that happens and like, again, what, from from a basketball standpoint how could you like again there's lots of things that go into a decision to hit the portal but if we do just look at the basketball standpoint like what reason would there be for miles lane to stay you know like no one can make a legitimate argument as to why he should stay from a basketball standpoint like neil said he loves the university of florida so maybe there's other elements that would keep him there but from a basketball standpoint i don't think it would make much sense for him to stay so um i'm not you know if should we predict he goes in the portal i don't know that's just seem honestly seems like a weird thing to to predict for players, um, which is one of the things that's tough about covering the game these days right. is like to talk, have these conversations about like predicting whether a player is going to, you know, move like physically move to somewhere else in the country. It's and take classes elsewhere. It's, it's kind of feels weird at times, but uh, yeah, it would uh, seems like something that would be from a basketball standpoint, at least uh, something wise for him to do, but uh, you ready to just touch on Kentucky here real quick. Yeah, let's touch on it. The only point I'll make is that they haven't blown anybody out really. Um, like the Tennessee win was their largest win other than Vanderbilt in conference play. And that was Vanderbilt without Liam Robbins, who they beat by 14. Um, so I don't think they're going to come into Gainesville and blow Florida out. I'll be honest. <laughs> I just don't see that happening. They haven't done that to anyone all year. They lost at Georgia, who I think Florida without Colin Castleton is probably, 
about as good as Georgia is. Um, you know, give or take a head coach. Um, so, you know, you know, you could interchange head coaches and I think you'd probably have about the same, <laughs> the same results with those squads. Obviously Georgia has Braylon Bridges, um, which is a little different. Um, but I don't want to get too, you know, compare happy. Georgia has Terry Roberts, Florida has Riley Kugel, whatever you want to say. I don't think it's a totally, you know, a washout of a game. I think if Florida comes and competes, they'll have a chance to win. Certainly Miss State uh, was able to nearly beat the Wildcats at home. Georgia did beat them. Um, you know, we've seen this Kentucky team struggle. They are a very interesting group because, Eric, the, the narrative all year was the offense is archaic. And it is. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to defend this system if you even want to call it a system. But they're 17th in offensive efficiency because they get so many offensive rebounds and they get so many easy buskets at the basket, which I think will ultimately kill Florida at the end of this game at some point. Um, But this is the worst Calipari defense in years. So I still think Florida can score. That's one of those things where I I just don't know if, again, I – this might just be disrespectful to say, but I mean, I just don't know if I'm Maybe ready not. to pick the Gators. The Gators yeah, I don't know if it, I don't know if I'm ready to pick the Gators to score on anyone. You know what? Like I, I just for for the Gators who are just did improve, took a big yeah. jump to like 130th in the country. Um, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but again, it's it's like it's one of those things where like if the Gators scored like 1.05 points per possession, like that would be a huge offensive output for this team, even relative to this this quality of defense. But no, it is funny. Like it's it's pretty clear that like no one in national media knows how to talk about Kentucky. Like it's pretty funny. I still remember like like a month and a half into the season where people are like, "Oh, right. this Kentucky team is is well." So that you know they start the season, we're we're guilty of it as well. Um, putting them first overall in the SEC, like, "Oh, this team's going to be so good." And then a couple of weeks into the season, um, all the national media is like, "Oh, Kentucky is cooked. Like they suck. Like they're terrible." And they're like, only two losses were like to Gonzaga on the road and Michigan state on a neutral in like triple overtime. And it's just like, then it's like, Oh, they're terrible. And it's like, well, you know, they, they lost to two pretty good teams, um, not at home. And then of course, you know, they do end up taking some poor losses. And of course there's a lot of conversation about the offense sucking. Like you said, 17th and offense on Kent bomb. I'd love that. I also don't think that a lot of people realize that if you take a shot and you miss and you get an offensive rebound and you score, that's still treated as one possession. Um, so I feel like people still are looking at like field goal numbers or they're looking at first yep. shots and they don't realize that like, if you score on that trip on the floor, it doesn't like, it doesn't have to be pretty. You just, and and even to be efficient, you just want to score while you're on that side of the floor. So they obviously get it done with offensive rebounding third in the country. So it's not always pretty. And even I will say that, yes, their first, their offensive system, I don't like, but they can make up for it with offensive rebounding. And uh, it's one of those things that I think people need to get over a little bit is um, like the results matter and efficiency matters. And that's done. They, they get it done with offensive rebounding after ugly shots. And while that doesn't look the best, and you can even argue whether that's sustainable or whether that's going to work in the NCAA tournament if they get there. But uh, the fact of the matter is they still put points on the board efficiently. Um, defensively, yeah, it's an issue. And I think a lot of it is Oscar Shibway looks horrible defensively right now. Um, he yeah. was never someone who was great defensively but it just seems like now he looks like I don't know if it's tiredness I don't know if he's if it could be injury I don't know if he's put on a little bit more weight 
But yeah, he just looks in mud and in, in pick and roll defense. Teams are really picking on him there. So that'll be interesting to see if the Gators do that. Um, Kentucky tries not to switch him out onto perimeter players, but if they do, that's a problem. That really is the the kind of um, weak link. You add in like that he is at center, you know, a defense premium position and is not a good a good defensive player. Um you know, block some shots, but he's not like a, like he doesn't really rotate over and block shots. A lot of his block shots are like when guys are trying to post him up. So I don't like his rebounding or sorry, his block numbers are like, okay, but I don't really think he's a rim protector if that makes sense. And then they've got a lot of freshmen on the floor who of course, freshmen often make for not very good defenders. So, you know, if the Gators we're going to have a game to find a way to, to score a little bit, kind of doing some stuff that you mentioned earlier in the podcast deal that they were able to score, opening up the lanes and playing without a, a big on the block um, against Kentucky. Maybe, maybe that does work again. I'm just, I just don't know if I would feel good against any opponent that the Gators are playing saying like, Oh, I think I really like the Gators, how they're going to perform offensively against this team. But uh, Hey, there's a, there's certainly a chance. Well, they've certainly found something in Chris Livingston defensively that I think has made them better. Um, you know, he's not really a guy that's, that's a big time scorer. I don't think he's ever going to be that at the college level. Um, but, you know, one thing that they'll do with Chris Livingston and I anticipate that they'll do, uh, and they've done more than, than in past seasons is they really get out and pressure the ball at about half court instead of getting into a shell. And I think some of that Eric is to slow people down and make it harder for teams to get into their half court pick and roll actions because <laughs> they know, like, how do you hide Oscar Shibuya? And it's been a nice adjustment. And Florida has honestly struggled with that at times this year. Now, we've seen the Gators adjust and just attack the rim a ton against people, too. Um, whether it's Alex Fudge or Will Richard or Riley Kugel. But those initial uh, that initial pressuring of the ball that slows people down, and then usually that first pass, whether it's a handoff or, you know, just – Florida setting a high ball screen and somebody trying to get open off that ball screen has been tedious for the Gators at times. And, and Kentucky uh, feasts off that. They really are excellent at, at slowing you down and, and making it hard for you to get into your actions. And those that has not been a good recipe for the Gators this season. Oh, and, and I think at this point, um, it's not like the Gators have had a whole lot of turnaround time for, for this, but I just, I, I've got to wonder what they do coming off. Obviously they had their first game without Castleton. Now they've got a little bit more time. Um, maybe they're thinking, oh, we need to get a little bit more pick and pop action for Shimchik to just get some kind of like, you know, they, it, this would be the time for the kind of next round of adjustments. Um, I also think they've got kind of nothing to lose. I, I And again, maybe I would see differently on the, the staff than this, but it's one of those things where like, as things currently stand, the Gators are outside the NCAA tournament picture. They don't have their best player. Like just kind of continuing to do what they've they've done. I I just like I I don't know why you would do that. You you might as well try something drastically different. And if it doesn't work, well, whatever. You are already missing the NCAA tournament. Um, so I, I would love to see them just try to try something different. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's also very tough to make these kind of big changes at this point of the season. Um, I think the Gators, especially with the short rotation, probably are not trying to be on the court for too long and, 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 and put too much wear on guys. But uh, yeah, I would love to love to see them come with a, a very distinct plan of how to attack Oscar Shibway because that is a recipe for success on the offensive side. Indeed it is. Well, we are going to uh, get our Jason Totobo interview in at this point. And um, we appreciate all of you listening. The show will, 
more or less conclude with the uh, end of the Jatobo interview. But um, thank you all for listening. Go Gators. Keep attacking closeouts.